when I came to know the Lord, uh, so that that part about a good, good father, you know, was hard to understand at first, really. And but by the Spirit, I I began to feel it. He began to talk to me and to show me things and uh, and give me way more than I'm entitled to as a believer, you know. More blessed is he who has not seen and yet believed, you know. But I've actually, the Lord has come to me in a couple of different dreams. I've actually heard him, his voice, uh, you know, and he has blessed me in that way just to show me and to prove to me, which he didn't have to do, how much he loves me. But one time, just to go off of that adoption, you know. Because when Paul wrote about the adoption to sonship, that he used, he was referring, you know, talking to a Roman people who understood the laws of that time and that age and that place and where they lived. And, and adoption, even under Roman law, you know, the, the adopted child had all the same rights and privileges as the natural born child himself. So we stand here today, sit here today as the adopted children of God with all the same rights and privileges as Jesus himself. We're in Christ. Everything God has is ours and he's in us and we're in him. It's a beautiful thing. I remember a time where I was, it was a dream that I was standing in a courtroom and uh, if you've read my book, you've seen this, but I was standing in a courtroom, a dimly dingy courtroom, but a big, beautiful place. And I was standing there, and I've, I've sat through thousands of trials back in the time when I was in the, that courthouse business. I used to work in the courthouse. Nevertheless, I was standing before the, the bench, <clears throat> But I knew that I was guilty. I was there to be for crimes. I knew that I was guilty. And I had no defense, basically, in my own mind. I was there to be sentenced, punished. And I had it coming. And I knew this. It was just a knowing. But then I looked to my right, and Jesus was standing here. At my right side, my advocate, my attorney, my helper. He was amazing. He was beautiful. And I looked and there was no judge, no jury, no prosecuting lawyers, no one to accuse me, no one to judge me, no one to sentence me. Just Jesus. I was guilty as could be and free as a bird. And I I fell to my knees. He turned and just began to walk and the wall was about from here to that one and 
he just walked straight toward it and I was reaching out, calling to him, basically begging him to go with him and he just went right through the wall and was gone. But I was free to go. He left me here because I had work to do and that's fine. But believe me, I sure wanted to go with him that day. (laughs) You know, there's a, a word in the Bible. One of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Actually, Galatians 5.22 and 5.23 are the fruit of the Spirit. I think the first word of verse 23, tell me what your Bible say if you have one. I'll do it with you. Okay. Doesn't matter. 5.23. If I'm right, I'm going to get to it there in a minute. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians. Right after Corinthians. Galatians 5, 23. What's the first word? Gentleness. Gentleness, right? <laughs> so does mine, because I usually use the uh, English Standard Version. Um... I used to read the NIV all the time because it's so re- easily, t- so readable. Also, the New Living Translation is very readable. This is the one that stays on my dash of my truck all the time. It's the King James Version, and I learned to grow to appreciate it more every day. Because when they translated the King James Version, when they came to something that didn't sound quite right or they didn't understand, they didn't try to change it to make it make sense to them. They just translated it as it was, the best they could. This word here for gentleness, which is it is in part correct. We're supposed to let our gentleness be known to all men. And this is something that I'm working on very hard. I the Lord is dealing with me about this. This is something that I really crave from him. But the real word is meekness. When I when I say the fruit of the Spirit, I generally say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's from the NIV and from probably from the ESV. But the real, the King James says instead of... Um, gentleness and self-control says meekness and temperance. You see. We've been talking a lot about words and how our words are forming our futures and, and our lives. And this is true. But sometimes we learn these things when we start learning about God. We learn that our words are important. And so when we come to God, we, we begin to get our acts cleaned up a little bit. Our words start getting impacted by, by just the fact that we want to move forward in God. And we see that it's important not to speak death. And we learn to speak life and 
and uh, we clean up our actions and our words. You see that a lot. Good thing, not a bad thing. But sometimes you there'll be a person that's struggling and say, I've, I've changed all that. I'm, you know, not perfectly, but I when November 20th, 2007, all that, all that old junk went away. Thankfully. And that's a whole nother message of my testimony, but you know, all that stuff started getting fixed up. And some of it was more gradual. Some of it was immediate. You know, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. I stopped doing drugs. I stopped. All that was immediate. The other stuff, you know, I had to learn about God. And uh, anyway, this is just my testimony. It's what he was doing in my life. But, but <clears throat> there's a point where, what am I trying to say to you? You can get to a point where you're still struggling and you're saying, but I'm doing all that. And God says, yeah, well, you change your words, but your heart, you know, you ever told a kid, there's a, you know, you can tell a kid to go, go, go clean up their room or, or go sit down over there. You know, there's a story about a little boy that. He said, he said, his daddy told him, you go over there and sit down over, uh, over there in that chair or something. He was over here playing. He wanted to play with something over here. And he told him, no, you, no, you just, that's enough. You, you've been misbehaving. You go sit over there. And the boy stomped over there. And he said, I'm going over here, but in my mind, I'm still over there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's how we can do sometimes, right? There's something about the law that just makes us want to do the opposite, you know. <laughs> I heard a preacher tell a story one time about how how legalism is and how it makes you just do the wrong thing, you know. There's a there's a, a yellow house on a, a on a street where kids walk past going to and from school every day, and then one day. The man puts a sign in the yard, do not throw rocks at this house. And then he ends up with a bunch of broken windows right after that, you see. Those kids never even thought about throwing a rock at it until he put a sign out there that says not to. Then it was their only desire. Look at James one twenty one. Hebrews, then James, back in the back. James is, uh, James and Jude, if you read, those are Jesus' brothers. I just call them his brothers. Some people insist on saying half-brother and whatever. I think you understand the difference. My brother was my brother and he was my half-brother. I never had to designate that. <laughs> he was my brother. But James and Jude, if you ever just need something to get you straight, <laughs> they're pretty straightforward and, and to the point. But uh, chapter 1, verse 21 of James says, 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's a beautiful scripture. Receive, we're supposed to receive the word with meekness. Now, somewhere along the lines, we, we came up with an idea of meekness as being weak. Maybe because they rhyme. Dog and hog rhyme, but they're not the same. Amen? Meek is not weak. It is not this person that is just uh, weak and without stamina and won't look you in the eye when you talk to them and shabbily dressed and eats lettuce and bird seed and lets everybody walk all over them. No, that's not meekness. Excuse me if I offended anyone. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, matter of fact, check this to be sure. That's it. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus referred to himself as meek, didn't he? And again, in my my version, it's saying gentle. In the King James, it says meek. But Jesus was described as a meek person. He certainly wasn't someone who wouldn't look you in the eye when you spoke to him, was he? He wasn't weak. We know he threw the money changers out of the out of the temple, didn't he? He wasn't shabbily dressed, and he, they were gambling for his clothes at the foot of the cross because it was so nice of a garment they didn't want to tear it it comes from a Greek word meaning called praus p-r-a-u-s meek comes from a word praus the root of that comes from uh, talking about a, a horse that can easily be guided by the bit that's in its mouth easily trained it means to be teachable. I used to describe it as like a big jet airliner, a big 747. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of tons they weigh, but it's a lot. You know? I never understood how they could fly, kind of like a bumblebee. You know, it's not supposed to be scientifically possible for a bumblebee to fly. Its body is proportionally too large for its wing size. So they don't understand how it can fly. The, the, the guy that invented the helicopter used that same, uh, that bumblebee as his inspiration. <laughs> Can't never could, right? But anyway, I used to use that example as this big jet, this, this humongous, heavy jet airplane just gently touching down on the tarmac you know power under control meekness sort of hard to grasp but I think being teachable and humble and maybe gentle in spirit but still strong you know my mother used to describe my uh, 
my great-grandfather this way. He was a pastor. And I always asked about him because he was everyone's hero in our family, you know. Obviously just a, an adored and loved person, a great man. That I, I never got to meet him. He passed before my, my birth. But she would say things like that. Tell me all these stories about the wonderful things he did and, and how he just had a calming way about him and how people would take advantage of him sometimes and he would just say, oh, well, that's okay. But other great things he did and how he talked to this rich businessman into donating all the the pews for his church one one day in a in a real funny manner. But she would say that he... He he just he was just a good man. That's how she described it. He didn't he didn't think he was better than anyone. She said, but he didn't think anyone was better than him either. Hmm. Teachable. A meek person, I would say, knows that there's more to be learned all the time. Right? They never have a problem with pride or arrogance. It's sort of a two-edged sword with, with meekness. When you, the more you learn, the more you learn that, there, that you didn't know. There's always more to know. Amen? So that knowledge reveals what you don't know. <laughs> Arrogant persons are just unteachable. They, they already know everything, so why do they need you? We hear often that pride goes bef- uh, uh, before destruction. Uh, pride goes... How do they say it? Before the fall. Pride cometh before fall, right? No. The scripture says a haughty spirit comes before fall. Pride before destruction. So... Keep that in mind. <laughs> we don't want to be prideful or arrogant. We want to be meek. We want to be teachable. Especially when it comes to the Word of God. We need to listen with a teachable attitude. And I'm not saying this to be self-serving. I, you guys, there's no problem here in that regard. So it's not about you. I don't ever preach to y'all anyway or about y'all. I just preach what God tells me to preach. Plus, there's people who had over 6,000 listeners because of this little Zoom device right here. So, who knows? Who needs this so much? But we all need it. The point is, you can learn from anyone. You ever been sitting somewhere, maybe somebody you didn't even know, or a little child, or somebody said something, and you went... And it was just God, and you knew it was. You don't even have to tell anybody, because if you did, they'd probably look at you like you're crazy anyway. But you know, you know when God is talking to you, unless your heart is hard toward Him. Matthew, and what's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 5, Jesus says that the meek shall inherit the earth. When we don't understand things, we tend to put them off in the future, future tense, or, or spiritualize them. 
That's why people say, oh, in the sweet by and by, how wonderful it's going to be when we get here. We're just going to muddle through here until we, how wonderful it's going to be when we get to, to heaven. And that's true. But we're not supposed to just muddle through here. That's not true. The meek shall inherit the earth. He's not talking about um, a future time. There will be a time when we're reigning with him for a thousand years here in the earth. And there's peace and, and things like that. But he's talking about peach, pe- teachable people. That receive the word of God with a humble teachable spirit. These people understand God's message of prosperity. And they're going to inherit land and possessions and finances in this earth. I'm a big prosperity preacher, in case you didn't know it. Because I don't spend half the day preaching on the offering and and uh, telling you I'm going to fast until I get to buy a new jet. And all that uh, just doesn't mean that I don't believe in prosperity. I believe in prosperity for God's people because I believe that we're blessed to be a blessing. And if you believe that, then how can you ever say, oh, that's enough, God. I don't ask for anything for myself. Just for these, you've done enough for me. That's a religious person who has wrong doctrine, wrong teaching, wrong understanding of what finances and blessings are for. That person just proved to you they thought that whatever God gave them was just for them. They got enough. No, we're blessed to be a blessing. It's like the sprinkler. And if you if you say I got enough water already, then you're starving that wa- that that lawn, right? And it dries up and <laughs> turns brown because you didn't need any more water. Well, you're just the sprinkler. But the sprinkler always stays wet too. Amen. Amen, yes. So, yep. you know, it works. It's, uh, it's, uh, you, you're never going to outgive God. He's going to keep you blessed too. So I'm very careful about putting my mouth on these preachers that everybody's so offended with. And I see, you know, obviously we see some of the stuff they're talking about. I don't know. Not for me to figure that out. But just because somebody drives a brand new, maybe a preacher's driving a a brand new uh, Rolls Royce. Maybe he gave away 25 cars uh, before he ever got that one given to him by somebody. You know what I mean? Maybe he gave away houses and land. You know, who knows what he has sown? Believe in God. The kingdom is about sowing and reaping. I don't even know how I got into that. <laughs> Let's turn back to Luke. I want to look at somebody who makes us all feel good. Until we look at his death and then... We see that Peter was martyred just like the rest of the disciples, except for John. But uh, Luke 5, and uh, how are we doing on time? Everybody okay? Okay. 
Luke 5, I want to talk about... Let's just start at the beginning of the chapter. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, this is Jesus. He was standing by the lake of Genesaret. Probably said that wrong. It's okay. I heard uh, I heard Joel Osteen's daddy one time, who was an amazing apostle of God, John Osteen. He said, he said when he was a young minister, he preached an hour and a half on the book of Job. <laughs> Billy Graham said the first time he went out on the road to evangelize, he, he had written five sermons to take with him. And he said the first, the first day he preached all five of them in 15 minutes. <laughs> Uh, so he was standing by the lake he's preaching and there's a lot of people and they're crowding back toward the water amen that's what's happening and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets getting into one of the boats which was Simon's he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down Simon here is Peter later on he would the Lord would begin to call him Peter, a rock. Um, he he put, put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets. Underline that word if you have a paper book. Let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. And we haven't caught any fish. We've been fishing all night. But at your word, I will let down the net. And then the King James, it says net. There's a difference. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their net, here again in the English Standard says nets, were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he, he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men or fishers of men. And they, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I'm just going to double check something. Bear with me for one second. I'm looking into the King James. I happen to have it right here today. Because I was thinking about all the 
inaccuracies and all the other versions. And every day I get closer to going back to just using the King James. I've tried to always use the best versions that I could find that were closely, that had less inaccuracies, (laughs) that were more understandable for people, especially in these days uh, when people are getting further and further from God and you try to be more relatable. But it, it just comes so evident that the King James is really the version to use. Um, and I want to see this just to make sure what I just told you is true. Ships says here answered toil all night of taking nothing nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net yeah so I'm right in the King James Jesus said let down the nets in verse 2 and in verse 5 it said I will let down the net okay it's important because they shouldn't have changed that you see what I mean Yeah, Jesus said, let down your nets. And when he did, every fish in that lake started swimming toward Peter's boat. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Remember what we talked about, about when when Peter said, Lord, if that's you, uh, tell me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter walked on the water, didn't he? He he? He walked on the word of God. Is what we talked about that day. Not on the water. He worked on the walked on the power that was in that word. And when the God of all creation said, "Let down your nets," all those fish in that lake knew they were supposed to get in those nets and be a blessing, to be obedient to God's word. Peter was. An expert fisherman. He'd been fishing all night, which is really a better time to fish. By now, it's probably getting up in the heat of the day. When Jesus got there, they had already got out of the boats. They were cleaning up everything. You know what I mean? Tired. Who is this preacher? He's maybe he's a good preacher, but he ain't no fisherman. Why is he telling me what I already know? Why should I listen to this preacher about something that I already know everything about? I'm the boss here. These other guys work for me. I fished all night and didn't catch in everything. Now he's going to tell me to start all over after I already put everything away and cleaned up the boats. And I'm fixing to send the guys home. Get some sleep. I'm taking liberties here, right? He didn't say all that as far as I know. But I'm sure it was going through his head. Because he said, Lord, he he tried to talk him out of it. We've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. But then something inside him. Well, but since you say so, I'll let down the net. So he half-heartedly obeyed to his credit. Most people would maybe not. But Jesus said borrowed something from Peter and he wanted to repay him 
He wanted to be a blessing to Peter. You're not going to outgive God, like I said. And so he was trying. Peter let down the net. He got the biggest catch he ever had in his life. But it could have been bigger. Because like I said, the fish were fighting to get into that net. They had come to fill nets. Almost sank him. But it could have been better. I think sometimes we miss out on some of God's provision for our lives for the same reasons. For our little or weak faith. Do you? (laughs) I don't know if this applies to any of you. It applies to me. So that's why when the Lord deals with me about things, Something one of my mentors taught me a long time ago and it let me off the hook. It freed me up so much in my preaching. I used to prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare. And he said, just feed them what, they, what God's been feeding you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like a light bulb went off in my head and I was like, wow. I'm going to try that. And it has added years to my life. Amen. Sometimes we miss out because God is telling us to do something and we're not doing it or we're doing it half-heartedly. Remember in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4, the widow, the prophet told her to go get all the jars the vessels, and he supernaturally filled them with oil. She could have had more. She ran out of vessels. <laughs> if she really believed that all the vessels that she brought would have been filled, she would have been begged, borrowed, and steal them to get them. <laughs> I'd have been on the. I'd have been on the. A computer with Amazon Prime, you know, <laughs> next day delivery. You know, I probably shouldn't watch that show Parks and Recreation, but I love it. It's funny. I just found it. We just started watching. I didn't know it'd been out for how many ever many years, but it's it's kind of off color in many places. But <laughs> that Ron guy, the boss, he said he went <laughs> he was disappointed because his favorite steakhouse was closed. He's He's a big meat eater, and uh, and he went to this this Denny's or whatever, and he said, "Bring me all the bacon and eggs that you have." <laughs> and the boy started to walk off, and he said, "Hold on, I think I need to clarify myself because I think you thought you heard me say bring me a lot of bacon and eggs.' I said, "Bring me all the bacon and eggs you have." <laughs> gosh. She could have had more oil. and She brought more jars to fill. Joash, the king of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 13, he could have defeated every one of his enemies. But he wasn't aggressive enough. I just plant these little seeds without going there and not give you something to get curious about and look it up. Amen? Amen. 
Here's another one. The widow, Joash, Peter. Psalm 78, 41. You notice I'm looking in the King James here because it's the only one that has it right. And this is uh, important scripture, I would say. Psalm 78, verse 41. Is, actually, you can go back to 36 because this is about kind of full circle. We're talking about our words and then we're going into how it's just not, not just our words, but our heart and our our uh, our attitude, our meek attitude, our teachable attitude. But he started off by, by condemning them in the worst. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. They just didn't really believe God, you see. This is about the children of Israel, of uh, the Hebrews after they were released. They flattered him with their mouth. They learned what to say. And they honored him with their tongue, or they lied to him with their tongues because they were saying the right things, but their heart wasn't right. But look down to verse 41. It says, Yea, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. We can limit God with our little faith, our unbelief. That's not what your version says if you're not reading the the King James, but I'm telling you that's important scripture right there. Because it shows that we have a part to play. I know uh, if you listen to KSBJ like I do, uh, 85% of the songs on there are doctrinally incorrect. (laughs) Although they mean well. (laughs) But, you know, it's just... So many times in the church and so for so many years, uh, God's servants have taught um, that God is in control and anything that happens, that's how God meant it to be. And they've taught that to, uh, to a fault. Um, because that's not exactly correct. God is in con- God is the Alpha and Omega. He is all powerful, all knowing. But He gave you a free will, and He's not going to interfere with your right to not choose Him. He'll protect you in that. The Holy Spirit will always be trying to reach you. I believe there is a point of no return where your heart just... But it's not because God says that. that. It's because our heart is so hardened. We've waxed cold to the promptings and the leading and the guiding and the nudging of the Holy Spirit. The whisper. You know, they get that word wax cold from. The old days, that's how they made candles. They take a string. And dipped it in the wax. 
hardened. They dipped it again. They dipped it again. It didn't come in one dip. Over time, it waxed cold. That's what our heart does when we... God will... All the things, all the wrong doctrines and the wrong teachings and the wrong ideology of our culture you see so prevalent. I heard this week that uh, just in 10 years, I think, could be wrong, right? I think it's a decade. The, those who claim to be Christian in our nation went from 79% to 65%. You see? Their hearts are waxing cold because what's going in these eye and ear gates is completely opposed to God because this world is in the control of the devil for a time. And this is the only thing that counters that, you see. And when we don't put great importance on the Word of God, when we don't magnify the Lord, we're magnifying our situations and circumstances, or we're magnifying the promises and the beautiful Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh. Amen? Amen. We need to keep Him lifted up first and foremost in our lives. Amen? Amen. We don't want to miss out on the provision of God. We don't want to miss out on anything that God has for us, do we? Y'all have just another minute for me to show you something cool? Yes. Let's do it. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. God has made provision for us. I try to talk about that. Ephesians, the first chapter. Second Peter, the first chapter. All things pertaining to life and godliness have been granted to us through the promises of God. Amen? Amen. It's God's will that we be in good health and prosper, even as our souls prosper. You see the correlation there, though. Our mind, our will, and emotions, the knowledge of God is how grace and peace are multiplied to us through the knowledge of Him and through the promises of God. We need to speak. We need to create an apostolic atmosphere, not only at church, but in our homes and in our relationships. We need to speak that power. We need to speak that future, that health, that prosperity, those blessings into ourselves and our loved ones. Your mirror should be all fogged up from your blessings being spoken over you. Amen. I just want to see if this rings true in your heart. Parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, verse 25, chapter 10 of Luke, a, a lawyer... This was uh, one of the religious leaders of the day. You know what? Let me go over to the correct version. (laughs) 
parallel? Yeah. I that's what I, I use those at home, different different things, the Strong's Concordance and all sorts of uh, uh, Bible uh, hub, which has about ten different versions, but sometimes it just becomes so evident, I, I think the evident and the Lord has really been showing me constantly, because I'll try to refer to something and it's always like, no, not this one, but what the King James says, and it shouldn't be like that, so I'm really, he's really pulling me back to it the King James I think but you know I've had this for a long time it's all marked up just like that one is so (laughs) but in Luke chapter 10 uh, verse uh, 25 talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan and I'll just go through it quickly because I want to make a point to you so uh, a certain lawyer stood up tempted him saying master what shall I do to inherit the nope Verse 29, forgive me. Am I in the right place? Yeah. Yeah. But he willingly, to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him and his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. There are you laying on the side of the road. Okay? That's you. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. There's that hypocritical preacher that... Your next door neighbor won't go to church because of him. Careful or you be in a cell right next to that hypocrite in hell. He has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Amen. Amen. And and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked at him and passed by on the other side. (laughs) There's another one. But a certain Samaritan, this is a hated person (laughs) of the Jews, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Jesus. Jesus is the Samaritan in this, this case, okay? 34, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of it. Took care of him, and on the morrow, the next day, when he departed, He took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, Jesus will come again. And I'm about to show you he's coming soon. I will repay thee. 
All I want to say, we don't want to miss out on the provision of God for our lives. And we don't want to waste any time. God's been giving me 911 in my spirit for I don't even know how many years now. I think I wrote it down if you've read about it. But showing me the fact that he is coming soon. And I get, as we go around the body of Christ, and I know a lot of ministers all over the country, I get testimonies about people who have either gone, been caught, caught up in the spirit or whatever. And it's always, the Lord is always telling them to go tell his people he's coming soon. More and more and more. 911. It's not to scare us, but to prepare us. Amen. Amen. If he's given you something to do, get after it wholeheartedly. This good Samaritan, who I'm calling Jesus, took and picked us up, bandaged us up, healed us up, didn't he? He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He left us in the care of the innkeeper, the Holy Spirit. He said, here's two pence. Here's, here's two denarius. Two, two days wages. And I'll come back with the Lord a day a thousand years is as one day. He'd been gone almost two thousand years. He's coming back. He's coming soon. He loves you. And he loves all of them too. He loves that policeman that came to the door earlier. He loves that bartender. He loves everybody out there rushing around, chasing their dreams. He wants them to get a glimpse of his dream for their lives. Amen. Amen. Will you help them to find it? The only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is souls. Father, thank you for this precious, special day. Thank you for loving us and leading and guiding us and providing so well for us. Thank you for the time that you give us. Help us not to take it for granted. Thank you for, Lord, teaching us and helping us to grow in meekness, in gentleness, and to have a teachable spirit, especially when it comes to your word. Help us, Lord, to yield to your word, not to the world, not to Satan, not to peer pressure, not to the pressures of work and life, but to you and your word. Help us to put you first, knowing that if we do, you, we're not going to outgive you. If we give you our best and our first, 
of our time and our resources and our talents. You're going to bless us abundantly with a with a boat sinking load of catch of fish. Just as an example. And we thank you, Lord. You'll make all the crooked places straight. You'll redeem the time for us. When we say we don't have time to give you, you'll redeem the time to make all the other things we had to do go quicker and more smoothly and fall into place. We just receive this from you right now. We, we, we receive the blessing that you have spoken over us in your word. We receive all of your promises and blessings. We reject every aspect of the curse. And we receive everything that Jesus, our Lord and King, paid for on our behalf. We receive it right now by faith. We thank you for the grace of provision. The grace of forgiveness. The grace of prosperity. The grace of health and wholeness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood was spilled for our forgiveness. We receive that forgiveness. We do not walk in condemnation. We will not. We reject condemnation. We do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We declare it so. Lord, we thank you for your precious blood. And we also thank you for your body, which was broken for us. We thank you for every stripe you took in our behalf. That's for the healing of our bodies. And we receive it right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I speak health and wholeness and prosperity and blessing and forgiveness and a pure heart and a sound mind. Over every person that hears this message. Every person here today, Lord. Help them to walk in the authority that you have given us. The power and the victory that you have provided for us in this life. And to reject everything that is not of you. No weapon formed against these, your children, will ever prosper. And every tongue rising up against them, thou shalt condemn. For this is the inheritance of the children of God. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. We take nothing for ourselves, Lord. But we thank you that all the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And Lord, we look forward to giving you all the credit for everything good that you bring into our lives. And to saying so and telling others, it's not us. It's not me. I'm nothing without him. I'm dead. The old man is dead. The life that I now live is Christ who lives in me. The same power that raised him from the dead lives in me and gives life to this mortal body. We bless you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.